Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, LuckyRacket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's LuckyRacket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, September 30th. It was a September to remember across the professional tennis world. Of course, it started with an exciting, dramatic U.S. Open that saw Emma Raducanu, Daniil Medvedev capture the first major singles titles of their career. Of course, it ends with some really enjoyable action across the professional tennis world. Of course, at the tour level, we've got WTA events in Chicago and in Nur Sultan this week on the ATP side action in San Diego and Sofia. We, of course, have five more challengers to discuss three stateside ITF events featuring a perfect nexus of both former and current college tennis players, American juniors on the rise that, of course, we are going to keep our eye on here at Crack Rackets. All of that. The subject of today's podcast, I want to offer you all another update on where things stand in this week's action across the professional tennis world. Talk about the WTA events, the ATP events, how the results we've seen factor into the race to the year-end finals. Of course, do want to point out some superstars at the challenger level. We had an ending of a historic streak, Benjamin Bonzi, second longest win streak at the challenger level in a single season. It comes to an end in Orleans, uh, France this week as he drops a match to Henry Laxanen in the round of 16. Nevertheless, that's one of many challenger results to keep an eye on. And of course, all of that action available to watch for free at livestream.com slash ATP. So I want to touch on that. I will point out on today's Great Shot podcast, we spoke for about an hour 
40 minutes with fellow Crack Rackets contributor Damian Koost about some of the ATP Challenger Tour superstars of late, some of the guys we are watching most closely uh, down the season's home stretch. Topics include Yuri Lachetchka, Stefan Kozlov, Diego Torante. We got into some Agamemnone. We talked about, who else, J.J. Wolf, and many others. It's a fantastic, in-depth, nerd-out sort of podcast that I know you Crack Rackets listeners will enjoy. So, of course, for that show, how to over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Had the chance to sit down for 10 plus minutes with Cam Norrie following his first round win in San Diego. Cam got another win today over Dan Evans. Uh, figured that 10 minute interview, uh, I was at the press conference for today's Cam Norrie match. All of the questions asked were questions we covered in that interview yesterday. Questions like, you know, what is the cause for this breakout 2021 season? What has led to the consistency of his results? Nine quarterfinals for him this season. Of course, I want to talk about his match against Evans today, but if you want to hear from Cam himself, head on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed where we will have from the presser segments for you all week long. Of course, before I get into any of the other action, I do want to just lastly remind all of you listeners that the reason these podcasts are possible day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point, you all know the deal. Tennis-point.com for the best equipment at the lowest prices. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, not only will you get free uh, two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, you will get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, anything you're looking for, shoes, rackets, strings, clothing, they've got it. Tennis-point.com, the symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com, the promo code is CR15. With that said, let's talk about where we are at in this week's action across the professional tennis world. We have to start with the event in Chicago. You look at Tennis Abstract's forecast for Friday's quarterfinal matches. You have three of the four matches existing within the 60-40 projection framework. It's, you know, 60% one player, 40% the other. You look at the matchups we have, seven of the eight, uh, excuse me, yeah, no, 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 six of the eight remaining players in the top 30 of the WTA ranking, seven of the eight have put up a significant result of late, have won over two-thirds of their matches of late. I mean, up and down the board. Top seed Alina Svitolina facing six seed uh, On Jabor. Who doesn't like that matchup? That's 54.5% Svitolina, 45.5% Jabor. For Bencic Rabakina, it's a three versus five seed. So all of the seeds holding seed at the top of the draw, that's a 55 45 split. Bencic Rabakina. You've got Danielle Collins, who is now, I believe, 21 and five since the end of Wimbledon. Two titles during that stretch. She is going to take on 2020, uh, technically 2020, Olympic silver medalist Marketa von Drusova. Von Drusva 18-9 since uh, the end of Roland Garros. She's found her rhythm of late. She's making her push back into the WTA top 30. And then you've got Garbine Muguruza, who, of course, uh, I predicted would win a Grand Slam in 2021. And while that didn't come to fruition, it's worth remembering. She had a match point on Naomi Osaka in Australia. She uh, made the finals back-to-back events and won a title in the double Middle East stretch. She, you know, uh, loses to Krejcikova in a straight set match in the U.S. Open. That was a fascinatingly dramatic match. And 
you know, she's been excellent this year. She's the only player to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. She's going to take on my Hantama, uh, Hantama of Japan, the qualifier, an exceptional run here in Chicago. But again, what a field. What a field. This is late September, folks, and we see three you know, or excuse me, three, we see seven, six, there it is, final number six, top 30, top 25 players, if we're being honest, in the points race this season, all playing a 500 level event in Chicago. Of course, we've got Indian Wells on the horizon next week as well. How did we get to the round of six, uh, to the quarterfinals we have set in Chicago? Let's start with uh, the one three set match on the day between seeds was a fantastic battle between Own Jabour and Jessica Pagula in the end. Six seeded Jabour, a 1 6, 6 2, 6 3 victory. You look for Jabour throughout the match. It was a struggle for her to land first serves in the box, but it was a struggle for both players in this match in terms of serving performances. Now they're all starting to learn why they call Chicago the Windy City, what it's like to play late fall Midwest tennis. These first serve percentages are atrocious. For Jabour, she's at 44.2%. For Pagula, 46.6%. It's worth noting, Jessica Pagula, 48th amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. Her strength is always as a returner, but... I mean, it doesn't help when you're starting at that sort of deficit and you look for her in the match. She does have success on serve when she was able to make a first serve, 22 of 34 for the match, but she's 20 of 39 on second serve points, 42 of 73 overall on serve. I mean, again, she was winning what? I think that's 42 of 73 is, I think, 57%, 58% of her service points. She won 44% of her return points as well. The problem is those numbers began to decline as we get to set number two, as we get to set number three. And in set number two for Jessica Pagula, with all due respect to Own Jabour, Pagula goes seven of 23 on first serve, uh, in terms of making first serve. She made 30% of her first serve. She played seven points on her first serve in that second set. She was three of seven on first serve points. And even going nine of 16 on second serve points, you're just facing struggle after struggle in every service game. And Own Jabour is going to put a ton of pressure on you anyways and just use her variety, the different angles, her slice, her drop shot to break your rhythm. It broke Pagula's rhythm over the course of this match. And again, it's not as though Own Jabour was having success on her own serve. I I mentioned the 57.5% for Pagula Jabour only won 55.8% of her total service points in the match. She won 43 points on serve. Pagula won 42. You look overall in the match, Pagula actually won 76 total points to Jabour's 74. And yet it was Jabour whose performance uh, started to rise, particularly in that third set down the home stretch. She's 12 of 16 on first serve points, 11 of 19 on second serve points, fights off both break points she faced, gets the one break of serve she needs to get through in that third set. And look, this was ugly tennis. I'm just going to be frank, and that you can understand why. Again, tricky conditions. Both of these players, players who thrive on rhythm, striking the ball cleanly, and for Jabour, you know, again, Pegula gives you so much difficulty because of just the line drive tennis she plays so flat, and she just puts so much pressure on your uh, on your first shot as a server. It's really hard for Jabour to play the slice, to play the plus one drop shot that she likes to incorporate when Pegula is hitting these line drives at her feet, but... 
Again, Jabour did a good enough job not only forcing Pagula into the outer thirds, but just not giving Pagula a set shot in the center of the court, hitting slice or different spins to just force her to adjust her contact point, and it impacted Pagula's rhythm, and again, neither of them served cleanly. It turned into ground stroke game tennis, and Jabour could just do a little bit more, a little bit more dynamic, a couple of different ways to hurt Pagula. This is a big win for Own Jabour because you look in the race to the year-end finals and let's assume no Ashley Barty, no Naomi Osaka who's not playing Indian Wells and she's going to get passed by a bunch of these players. You take them out of the, the equation. Own Jabour right now, seventh in the race to Guadalajara. Seventh. She is in, has put herself in a position to control her own destiny as to whether or not she will qualify for the year-end finals. And in a season where she became, you know, the highest-ranked, uh, I believe, uh, player from the Middle East in in WTA singles history, wins her first WTA Tour title, and just accomplishes so many different firsts. First quarterfinal for Jabour at the majors as well. Twenty-seven years old. In the prime of her career, seventh right now in the points race. Again, she leads Elisa Mertens, Pavlochenkova, who were both eliminated from this event. Uh, and, you know, still playing this event are Bencic and Svitolina. But, you know, even if Bencic wins the tournament, she's only 86 points ahead of Jabour. Even if Svitolina wins the tournament, she's, well, then she's 250 points. So Svitolina's the threat, but Own Jabour has put herself in a position to control her own destiny to make the year-end finals. And that's a testament to the success that she has had this season. You look at the leaderboard right now in terms of wins on the year. Own Jabour ranks fourth behind Sabalenka, Barty, and Krejcikova. Although I believe with her wins this week, Jabour will have passed both Bar- I Actually, I think passed all of them to be the wins leader this season on the WTA Tour. Speaks to, again, the effort she has put in playing week in, week out. Speaks to her fitness level. Speaks to the jump she's made. Credit to Own Jabour. She's earned her spot in these quarterfinals, earned her spot in the conversation to qualify for the year-end finals. That was one of two three-set matches on the day. Your other one coming from the qualifier, as I mentioned, my Hantama uh, earning a 6-4-6-7-6-1 win over Shelby Rogers. Rogers was actually down, I believe, Hutama serving for the match, and Rogers able to get that break back, win the second set, just kind of ran out of steam there in the third, and obviously for Shelby Rogers, who earned a win over Bianca Andrescu in the round of 32, a match where BB, when she was on her front foot, she was striking the ball cleanly, but the first serve, that first forehand of Shelby, it's going to give anyone troubles, and particularly for Bianca Andrescu, who is still looking for her match legs. She struggled with the pace of the Rodgers ball. And, you know, again, there were a lot of unforced errors. You go and watch the match point for Rodgers and Andrescu, 30-40. Andrescu has the approach shot that she wants on the forehand side. She set it up beautifully. She just missed it wide. And those are the sort of balls that are trickier to make when you just don't have a lot of match, you know, chops under you, when you're not used to facing that pressure of match point down 30-40, forehands on my racket. And so, Again, this was a tough loss for Shelby. Heck of a run for Huntama, who comes through qualifying. And now with this result, she is up, the 22-year-old from Japan, to a new career high of number 159, first 500-level quarterfinal for her in her career. Got to give her a ton of credit. But again, yeah, good week for Shelby Rogers, despite the disappointing loss here. Heck of a result for Huntama to advance in three sets. The rest of your results 
all straight set decisions. Belinda Bencic, 6-2-7-6 win over Martin Sova. Considering Bencic has played every week of September that a tournament's been available, she was in the second week of the U.S. Open. She then immediately flies over to Europe because, of course, Belinda Bencic has serious points to defend at Indian Wells, and you look for Bencic with her, the tennis she's played. She's up to 10th in the live rankings. You look for her in the race to the year-end finals, which is probably more indicative of where her ranking will be entering and coming out of Indian Wells. She's 17th in the race to the year-end finals with another victory. She'll be 15th, uh, excuse me, 14th in that race, one point behind Emma Raducanu. She's managed to keep herself in the top 20 regardless of how Indian Wells goes. And Again, you can't say that about Bianca Andreescu, who's currently 20th in the rankings and is going to see a ton of points fall off her resume. So bold scheduling by Bencic. She's played so well since winning that gold medal at the Olympics. Great to see her capitalize on that momentum. Good win for her, 2-6. and six. Again, when she's striking the ball cleanly and just playing her aggressive tennis, she plays on her terms regardless of the opponent. She took it to Martin Sova. Straight set victory. You also had a straight set win from Alina Svitolina, who, again, sneaky excellent over the course of this season. You look for Svitolina now in 2021. She's fifth in terms of total wins, 38 and 17 overall on the year, has played such good tennis of late as well, winning the title in Chicago in the run-up to the U.S. Open. I've said it before, I'll say it again. She makes that, I mean, she had the backhand cross-court volley, five all in the third set breaker against Layla Fernandez. She makes that backhand volley nine out of ten times, and she just happened to overcook that one. But other than that, you know, for Svitolina, who's what, 27 years old? I think she's played pretty well this season. Now, you look for her in the ranking. She's currently sixth at, you know, the 27-year-old. You look for her in the race. She's currently 12th, although she is very much in the mix. You look at the gap between her and currently eighth place, Elisa Mertens. She trails by fewer uh, than... I think it's 56 total points. Yeah, she trails by 56 points with a Masters 1000 event still on the table. Alina Svitolina could qualify for the year-end finals, and in a year where it doesn't feel like she's been outstanding, we didn't see a run to a slam semifinal, slam final. She has continued to be rigorously consistent into the quarterfinals here, keeps herself very much in the race to Guadalajara. Straight set win over a very much in form of late Elena Gabriela Russa, who, by the way, can't undervalue what Rusa's done this year. 72nd in the points race. She's gotten herself up to a new career high of number 92 in the live rankings. 23 years old is the Romanian, has positioned herself perfectly to play on her own terms in 2022. Shout out to Marketa Vandrusva, who, as I mentioned, 18 and 9 since this year's Roland Garros. She's 9 and 5 against the top 50, 4 and 2 against the top 20 during that stretch. It's just a contrast of style that's different to all of those opponents out there. Just, again, the lefty whose game is so predicated on creating angles for herself, absorbing, redirecting pace down the line, short angles cross courts, taking the ball early on the rise, throwing in, you know, it's the best backhand drop shot in tennis, men's or women's. It's not going to overwhelm you with her power, but she moves extraordinarily well, and she's so fluid in those outer thirds of the court. 
you know, again, she was just lefty-lefty. She could absorb the pace of Jill Teichman and was able to break the rhythm of Teichman, locate that backhand, force Teichman to move uncomfortably forward, play the drop shot to disrupt the rhythm, and just it was a really impressive straight set victory for her. Now, again, Teichman's another player who, since the Western Southern Open, I mean, she solidified herself inside the top 50. Teichman now up to number 39 in the live rankings. That's one off her career high of number 38. You look for Teichman 30th in the points race. The numbers say it. The results say it. The eye test say it. Teichman's been excellent, and Von Drusova took it to her today. So it's a really nice win from the unseeded Von Drusova, who with this result, still crazy to think Marketa Von Drusova only 38th in the live rankings, 35th in the points race. Of course, the, the silver medal run for her uh, in Tokyo does nothing in terms of the rankings, but She's getting back to that 2019 French Open finalist form, and it's worth remembering Marketa Van Drusva, still just 22 years old. A lot of talent in Marketa Van Drusva. Good win for her uh, to advance to the uh, quarterfinals, where now Van Drusva going to be taking on Danielle Collins. Collins has been one of the five best players in women's tennis since the end of Wimbledon, and you look for Danielle Collins uh, during, uh, or right now in the ranking, she is one of just nine players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage in the women's game, 21-5. and That's an 80.8% win percentage since Wimbledon, two titles, three and one versus top 20 opponents. She's also 34-12 and for the season. That's a 739 win percentage, 23rd in the points race. I know I had this argument with David Gertler, She's right there. Her, Pagula, Goff, healthy Jennifer Brady on a hard court. Those are your four best women in women's tennis, uh, four best American women in tennis right now. And again, when Collins is feeling it, and you saw she struggled in her first-round match against Masaki Doi. She was able to get through that match. That's a match Danielle Collins loses in 2019, loses in 2018. She gets through that one, finds her form in this 2-4 and four victory against Elisa Mertens. Everything was on her terms, and again, it's not quite Serena Williams. Uh, well, it really is Serena Williams' power tennis from the baseline. Now it's not as service centric, but when she's striking the ball cleanly and she was the one doing the dictating, was so aggressive with her serve against Mertens. And you look for her. Uh, Danielle Collins made sixty-one percent of her first serve. Uh, now she only—I mean, she—I believe only ended up winning fifty-two percent of her service points. But she was so aggressive as a returner. She ends up winning sixty-two percent of her return points. Sixty-two percent. She ends up breaking Elisa Mertens. Seven times in this match, had 13 breakpoint chances. I mean, again, she was just swinging freely, confidently from the baseline. She took it to and very much in for Mertens. I don't want to say Danielle Collins is in the race to Guadalajara. You look for Collins, as I've mentioned, 23rd right now in the points race. But if she wins this event, she's at 22-41. 22-41 would be 249 points behind Onjabur for, I believe, uh, or excuse me, seventh place. She would be behind Elisa Mertens. Let's see, Elisa Mertens, 2-4-3-8. She wins this. She would be behind Elisa Mertens by about 197 points. She's not in the race. But if she wins this, wins uh, Indian Wells, and I mean she won back-to-back titles about a month ago, sure, in a year of impossibilities, why not? For Danielle Collins, who was excellent today, again, in a straight-set win 
over Elisa Mertens. You also had a fantastic win for Elena Rabakina, the big server, 6-5, and five, just was better at the power tennis than Veronica Kudermatova. She advances to the quarterfinals, where, as I mentioned, the matchups moving forward, it's going to be Svitolina taking on Jabor. Svitolina, the slight favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, 55%. Belinda Bencic, 56% favorite over Rabakina. Collins, a 59% favorite over Von Drusova. Muguruza, 98% favorite over Hantama. Muguruza, by the way, advancing after Vika ha- Victoria Azarenka has to withdraw from the event. You look at the tennis abstract projections. They give Muguruza a 37.3% chance to win. That's likely a product of the fact that she plays Hantama in the quarterfinals. After that, it's pretty even. Svitolina, 16.7%, Jabor 11.8%, Bencic 11.4%, Collins 10.7%, even Rabakina at 7.1%. You don't hate that if you follow these forecasts closely. It's a toss-up in Chicago. Should be super, super fun home stretch. Of course, we're also around ahead of that. In Nur Sultan, our other WTA Tour action happening this week. You look uh, right now, we've reached the semifinal stage. Rebecca Pedersen, Super impressive 6-7, uh, 6-4 victory over the talented young Russian Anastasia Potapova. Yulia Putin-Seva, heavy favorite according to Tennis Abstract's formula. She grinds out a three-set win. Six-love in the third over Gasanova. Yes, six-love in the third was still a two-hour, 40-minute match. You also had straight-set wins from Ali Van Utvenik, your number two seed, 4-4 four and four win over Karacheva. Kristayan, 6-4, 6-3 win over Krunik to advance to the semi finals. You look at Tennis Abstract's formula. Putin save a 47.1%. Van Utvenik, 31.4%. Pedersen, 14.6%. Kristayan, sneaky high, 6.9%. And you look for Kristayan with this semifinal. The 23-year-old Romanian, another young Romanian up to a new career high. She's at number 111 in the live rankings. Again, I mentioned Rusa, 23-year-old Romanian at 92. Call that the Simona Halep influence, folks, directly. You can see it right there. Uh, Again, just always a fun thing to monitor as we watch the generation shift, but that's where things stand right now through Thursday's action on the WTA Tour, of course. We've got two tour-level men's events happening this week as well. I happen to be able to serve on press row for the action in San Diego. That's where I want to start. We still have two night matches to come uh, in San Diego. I'm recording this a little bit before. Andy Murray takes the court uh, in his match tonight against Casper Ruud. We also learned FAA, unfortunately, withdrawing. Now, the good news, if there's a silver lining, I suppose, is the lucky loser selected is University of San Diego's August Holmgren, who was exceptional in Grand, uh, in San Diego qualifying, got a win over Jordan Thompson, almost beat Salvatore Caruso. He gets a shot now at Grigor Dimitrov tonight. Of course, it's his hometown, so it's not as though he has to rush back to site. He's on campus, able to get a comfortable hit. Yes, it was limited notice, but I think he'll be ready for primetime. August Holmgren's a primetime player, so excited for those two matchups tonight. Now, in terms of where we are at, we do have our six other quarterfinalists set. You've got uh, Andre Rublev last night, or two nights ago, I suppose. So it was, yeah, Wednesday night. Oh, my God, was he exceptional in knocking off Brandon Nakashima 6-2-6-1. It just looked like he was playing checkers, or, you know, Nakajima was playing checkers, Rublev was playing chess, and just 
the ferocity with which he hit every ground stroke. They were all landing in. It was just so difficult for Nakashima to do any damage to Rublev. Even when he was going after his return and landing his return deep in the middle third of the court, Rublev would just slap a forehand in the open court. And yesterday was one of those days where it was going in, and it was a nice reminder of how good Andre Rublev is when he is good and considering the disappointments at the slams for Rublev this season. He does seem like he really enjoyed Laver Cup, and he just seems confident heading into Indian Wells. Uh, this was a really nice result for him, 2-1. Again, he just took it to Nakashima, who I don't want to take anything away from. And for Brandon, it was a really impressive first match win. I already talked about it. Three sets over Fabio Fognini. And this is a step in the right direction, but he's just not quite, you know, the serve and just, you know, the Rublev forehand, the Nakashima forehand. Brandon was forced to hit slices. Just the, the Rublev forehand was too heavy at this point. Again, it's okay if it's a top 10 player that's doing that to you, but it was a good data point for Rubla, uh, for Nakashima to realize, oh, okay, this is what it's like to face one of those guys. And, you know, again, credit to Andre Rublev. He just kicked his derriere to advance to the quarterfinals. You look elsewhere, Denis Shapovalov surviving against Taylor Fritz. Listen to this number. Shapovalov, 28 of 31 on first serve points in the first set. That's a 90% win percentage. 2 of 10. On sec- uh, two of 20, excuse me, on second serve points in the set. That's a 10% win percentage. Yes, when you give Taylor Fritz a little bit more time, his length, his just contact point, it's beautiful. And there's no doubt Taylor Fritz's return skills had something to do with that number. But it also speaks to just the tentativeness Shapovalov played with uh, throughout that early portions of the first set. He was down 4-1. I believe he faced six, uh, was it six? It's either four or six set points in that first set before ultimately taking the breaker 9-7, pulling away with a 6-2 victory where his level did improve in that second set. And of course, he mentioned it in the presser, always tough to go from playing indoors in Boston to outdoors in San Diego in a three, four-day stretch. But, you know, again, it was... It was a weird performance from both of these guys. Fritz had so many chances and just got a little bit tentative in those moments. And then for Shapovalov, as explosive and athletic as he is, there are times when he can just groove his backhand, groove his forehand, create space for himself, and then obviously with his explosion when he hits the ball cleanly, explode through the court. Five quarterfinals for Shapovalov this year in 19 total events played. He's, I believe, 24-18 and now on the season that's too low. And I mean, it's right around his career averages. He's won about 57, 58% of his matches. Now, of course, the big Wimbledon semifinal breakthrough run this season, there's no doubt that's a step forward for him. But the week in, week out consistency is still lacking. And when Shapovalov finds that, look out rest of the tour because there's no doubt he has the upside. His best can compete with anyone because he can just simply put play on his terms. And yet, even when not playing his best tennis, 13th in the live rankings, 14th in the race to the year-end finals. He ends up getting a win this week. He'd trail uh, Kasper Ruud, or excuse me, he would trail, yeah, Kasper Ruud, who would be currently, although we don't know if we'll see Djokovic, but Kasper Ruud currently in eighth place when you remove Nadal. Should he win this week, he would still uh, end up being 680 points behind Kasper Ruud, so really needs runs in San Diego and Indian Wells. It's a little bit out of reach, but never say never. For Denis Shapovalov, and again, it's been a funky, funky season. More than anything, Shapovalov just looking to find his rhythms. A semi-final or final here, given the quality of the field. A quarter-final or better at Indian Wells. Denis Shapovalov can then look in the mirror and say, you know what? 
There were down patches, but 2022 still a year for it. And it's worth mentioning his hold percentage is at a career high. His break percentage is above his career average. He's been better in 2021. It's just been in flashes. But again, escaping is half the battle in pro tennis. He escapes with a win today over Fritz. You also had rock-solid win from Cam Norrie, who won over 70% of his first serve points against fellow countryman Dan Evans, 7-6, uh, 6-3 win for Norrie. You look for Norrie overall on the season now, nine quarterfinals for him this season. He had made 10 in his career entering the 2021 uh, season. He's now made nine here this year. 43-19. and 19. He's winning 69% of his matches this year. Tied for 14th in the points race. Has had success across surfaces. Won his first ATP title earlier this season in Mexico, in Los Cabos. I mean, what else is there to say? You look for Cam Norrie. He's 8th right now in break percentage. You know, 28th in hold percentage. That's not exceptional but when you can do that and break serve with the frequency that he is, and he's very high percentage There's a lot of Jensen, uh, Cam Norrie in, uh, in Jensen Brooksby and just the way they kind of, you know, just break your opponents down, move the ball so well around the court, don't make unnecessary unforced errors, and yet still put pressure on you. And Norrie is willing to move forward, and that slice serve on the ad side, he hits it so well, and he hits all of his spots in terms of as a server, and he continues to add pace, and he just, he knew exactly what he wanted to do against Dan Evans, obviously beat Evans earlier this season when they played at the Australian Open, but it's a rock-solid result. For Cam Norrie, who again, ninth quarterfinal on the season, unequivocally a year for uh, step forward for him here this year. Got to give credit uh, to Norrie, who advances over fellow countryman Dan Evans into the quarterfinals, where now he is going to take on Shapovalov. You look at the other matches we saw Lorenzo Sinego, four and three win over Sebastian Corda. You also had Diego Schwartzman coming back uh, from a set down, four, six, six, three, six, two last night over Lloyd Harris. Just did such a good job absorbing, redirecting that pace, played so well in the outer thirds of the court. You then got to give a shout out to Aslan Karatsev, who made the match physical against Hubi Hercots to earn a 5-7-6-4-6-2 victory over the Moselle Open champion. And look, Hubi lost his legs in the third set. There's no denying that. But credit to Karatsev for recognizing that fact, for willing to suffer a few more 10, 15, 20-shot ball rallies in the first set, even in losing that proposition, to set up the run he made in sets two and three. He sets up the plus-one ball so well, whether it's his kick serve on the ad side with the open court forehand or just you know the way he slices it out wide on the deuce, the way he can hit the tee and then just go behind you as well, just hits his spots super, super successfully. It's just worth remembering. This time last year, Aslan Karatsev was playing almost exclusively challenger-level action, and just, you know, I think this is going to be his first Indian Wells main draw in a couple of weeks. Like, let's not forget that fact. He may have acclimated himself very well in the top 40. Seems like he belongs there. Uh, but you got to celebrate this success, and that's a really impressive win over an in-form Hubi Hercots for Karatsev to advance to the quarterfinals. But again, that's where you're at in terms of the round of 16. Nothing else too notable from the round of 32 that we've missed. I thought Hercots looked good in a win over Alex Bolt. I thought Dan Evans looked good in a win over Kevin Anderson. Uh, I thought for uh, Karatsev, you know, again, he broke down Del Bonis. Uh, but overall, 
you know, again, it's it's been really fun action in San Diego and two fun nightcaps here Thursday that we'll talk about tomorrow. Murray taking on Kasparud, going to be great litmus test for Andy Murray, going to have to make a lot of balls in that match. Of course, you've also got afterwards August Holmgren taking on Grigor Dimitrov. That feels like a cracked racket special, so you know we're going to end up talking about it tomorrow. But that's where things stand in San Diego right now when you look at the tennis abstract forecast. They have Rublev a 38% favorite. He is the heavy favorite right now in the draw. Next, you would have uh, Diego Schwartzman, 9.3. Aslan Karatsev at 9%. Then you get to Rude, Dimitrov, Shapovalov, Nori, all above 7.5%. But yeah, they give Rublev the heavy favorite in terms of to make the final in the bottom half. They lean Karatsev, then Dimitrov, uh, then I believe Kasper Rude. So interesting just to note where things stand in San Diego entering quarterfinal Friday, of course, entering the quarterfinals on Friday in Sofia will be top seeds Yannick Sinner and Gael Monfils. Monfils gets a withdraw from Ilya Vashka, who of course has played so much tennis, <clears throat> excuse me, of late. Sinner though was up a set, was up a break early in the second set on Igor Gerasimov. Then Gerasimov made his move, started putting pressure on the young Italian, but I mean, man, Every time I watch Yannick Sinner, I'm more and more impressed. And I honestly think it starts with his backhand because the, the forehand's so obvious. The, the way he hits through that ball when he sets his feet, it's elite. But the continued improvement of his backhand, the depth he's able to get on that shot, the angle he's able to create, his ability to set up inside out and inside in forehands by hitting that first backhand deep in cross court, his ability to change direction, go down the line, his comfort level playing droppers, his comfort level moving forward. Yannick Sinner is so good at 19 years old, 20 years old now, and yet he also continues to get better with every passing match. And Look, there's a bit of a lull in his level midway through that second set, and yet Sinner was able to rebound, refocus, get the break back when Jerosimov served for the set, ultimately take the tiebreaker 7-3. The top seed looked impressive in advancing to the quarterfinals, where he's going to be joined by Marcos Giron. Giron knocking out three-seed Alex Diemenauer, second win over Diemenauer in as many weeks, this time 7-6-7-6 over the Australian I mean, we talked a lot about Giron yesterday, but just physically, he's ready for the challenge. This is a guy in the prime of his career who can just will make that extra ball, will make you suffer, will make you play a 15-shot rally instead of a 10-shot rally. And if you leave a ball short, he's going to jump on it. He is going to go big down the line. He's so great in the outer thirds of the court. A a willing volleyer who knows where to go and what to do. Now, I'm not going to say he's a good volleyer because if you've seen his struggles on the overhead of late, I think he hits great drop volleys, but the overhead in particular has been a struggle for him at least this week. All that is to say, though, he's a good volleyer in terms of location and just making that first volley, putting pressure on the opponent. Not a great volleyer in terms of just natural feel, natural instinct, but moved the ball so well, made the match a track meet, and for Demonauer, who was struggling with confidence, he's just not confident hitting that plus one ball, going big down the line in a 15-20 ball rally when someone leaves a ball a little bit short, but certainly gives him a chance to be aggressive. You can just see the doubt in Alex Demonauer's game right now, and as a guy whose game is predicated on physicality, uh, you don't want to see that doubt creep in. So again, hopefully Demonauer resets into 2022, but you look for Marcos Giron, exceptional 
this season. You look for him now up to a new career high of number 60 in the live rankings. You look for him in the points race, Marco Scarone, all the way up now, I believe, uh, inside. I want to say, yep, the top 70 at number 67. That's pension range, folks. That is pension range. Marco Scarone in the prime of his career, uh, 28 years old, playing some outstanding tennis all season long. Of course, you look at the other winners thus far on the week uh, into the quarterfinals. Phil Krajinovic knocks out Laszlo Jure. I wanted to send out this tweet. I'm not going to. Why isn't Philip Krajinovic a top 10 player? Why isn't he way better than his results would dictate? You watch him play, how smooth everything is, his ability to get his weight moving forward, the compact nature of both his forehand and his backhand, his comfort level at the net. That's just a guy kind of like Tommy Paul where it's just like, oh yeah, it makes sense. This guy on a tennis court, all of these things, it works. You could plop him on any country club across the world. He would fit in like a hand in a glove. Good result for him over Laszlo Dure, and again, when he's locked in, he's got it. Three-in-love win for him to advance to the quarters. You look elsewhere, Millman, three-set win over Marchenko. The Duck, James Duckworth, continuing to find success. He earns a th- uh, straight-set win over Benoit Perrin. You look for the Duck, reached his first ATP final this season in Nur Sultan, made his first Masters round of 16 in Canada. 32-19, and 19, 63% win percentage overall, 24-14 and 14 against players ranked outside the top 50. New career high of number 56. Shout out to the Duck. James Duckworth advancing to another quarterfinal. He's joined by Gianluca Mager, uh, made Mager, excuse me, Gianluca Mager, uh, a 7-6-6-3 victory over Miomir Kesmenovic and Camille Matrzak, uh 7-5-6-1 over Dimitar Kuzmanov. You look at some of the other results we saw. I, I think that's really everything of note. And again, that gets us to the quarterfinals where you look at tennis abstract. Yannick Sinner, 38% favorite. Then they go Gael Monfils, 22%. Interesting with the the elimination of Ivashka, who was second place in that forecast for a while, but Sinner 38, Monfils 22, Krajinovic 12.9, and then Marcos Giron 10.7%. Interessante. Nevertheless, that is where things stand with our ATP Tour events. Quickly on the ATP Challengers, again, I just want to give you guys an update on where things stand because Damien and I did an hour and a half on Challenger-level action over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Things are heating up in Orleans, France. Henry Laxanen knocking out second seed Benjamin Bonzi, snapping that 21-match win streak, which again is tied for the second longest at a single season in ATP Challenger history, the longest belonging to Juan Ignacio Chela in 2001. He won 24 straight Challenger matches. Uh, You look to uh, Takao Suzuki, he also won 21 in 2000. You look at the guys who have won 20, David Goffin, who at one point won 36 consecutive sets, uh, sets. Dennis Istanbul, Guillermo Coria, Janko Tipsarovic, the other guys who have won 20 consecutive matches. But again, Benjamin Bonzi, who we talked about extensively on RGSP, uh, ends up getting knocked out in Orleans. But still, Laxanen taking on Holger Rune. Rune knocking out Jill Simone and Ricardo Sparankis in the same event. That speaks to, again, the 18-year-old's coming, folks. 19-year-old's coming. I believe he's now up to a new career high in the live rankings of, let's see, uh, right now, Holger Rune currently in the live rankings. New career high, number 123. Look for Rune in the points race. Uh, he's currently at, I believe, he's got to be right in that range as well. Holger Rune currently at number 64 in terms of points accumulated this season, folks. 64th in the points race is the 18-year-old from Denmark. 
he's coming in 2022. First it was the Futures, then it was the Challengers. Now, you know, again, ATP levels coming next, folks. Holger Rune, former World Junior number one, on the rise. Uh, he's got a very winnable match against Laxon, and you look at the top half of that draw. Gasquet versus Yuri Vesely is a fun challenger quarterfinal. Quarantine Moutet versus Hugo Grenier who knocked out Arthur Rindernesh today, 6-4, and then Dennis Novak taking on Ruben Bemelmans. Uh, that's a fun action in Orleans. You look over in Romania, you've got Zdenek Kolar continuing his success. He's going to take on Stefano Trevaglia, Jeffrey Blankenau uh, taking on Samit Nagal, who ends the run of Lachechka, 7-5-6-3. You've also got Kokonakis taking on Mokan. That's a top 100 matchup. Marc-Andre Husler taking on Franco Agamenone. That should be a fun one as well. You look over in Murcia, Cabrera Espeña versus uh, Furnace, Calarini Col- Col- uh, taking on board, Kuhn taking on Flavio Cabali, who I haven't talked enough about. Flavio Cabali, one of the many talented teenagers, the 19-year-old from Italy, 257 in the rankings, uh, has had a ton of success this season. You look at what he's been able to co- accomplish, a couple of quarterfinals uh, at the challenger level. Of course, the final he made in Barletta back at the end of August as well. Just, you know, again, a guy who has worked his way up the rankings. If you start to see him have, you know, also made a final in Rome back in April where he lost to Serendolo, uh, made an ITF, uh, won a couple ITF titles earlier this season as well. He's on the rise, folks. Just another one of those young Italians to keep an eye out for in Flavio Caboli. He advances, as mentioned, to the quarterfinals here. Uh, you look at our action in Lisbon, Pellegrino versus Ferreira. Uh, Ferreria Silver, Andre Martin taking on Nikola Miljevic, Steb, who knocks out Nuno in three sets, taking on Hugo Gaston, Popko versus Dominguez. You then have our final champion uh, challenger happening in Lima. Johan Nicholas taking on Renzo Olivo, Nicholas Kicker, Hugo Delian, Meltzer, Labato, Carabelli taking on Serendolo. That's a really fun battle between two young Argentinians. So challenger action carries on this week as well. Of course, three stateside ITFs plus a fun one to monitor for the men happening in Canada. You look, uh, excuse me, in Cancun, you look at the college ties. Only two men's college tennis players remaining at the 15K happening this week uh, over in Lubbock. You look at those two college ties. These guys, uh, I, I don't think they're going head-to-head quite yet, but you look for Sven La. Uh, he's been excellent at this event. A win over Tyler Zink in round two, 6-4, You look for Sven La in his first-round match. Also got a th- uh, straight-set win over the third seed, Thomas Fancet. In these quarterfinals now, he's going to have a fun matchup. Takes on number five seed Mark Whitehouse. But again, look, it's a battle to make that lineup at Baylor. Boyton's going to play one. I think we can lock that in. But Soto, La, Brum, Mizuki, uh, Michizuki, or Wampi, as they call him. I mean, I don't want to forget names because I'm going to get yelled at. But all of the names, all of the names for Baylor. They've got all of the names. Once again, they're going to be pretty freaking good this season. And look, I I will say this. I don't know if Blaze Bicknell is going to go there. I know Baylor's on the short list, and it's just going to be fascinating. If they get Bicknell as well, I mean, just, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, it, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. So great result for Sven Law. Great week for former Baylor Bear Charlie Broom, who got a win over Seku Bengora, the number two seed in round number one. Knocks out former NCAA champion Ryan Shane, 7-6-6-3 in round number two. He advances to face current 
Ohio State number one singles player and Project Elite team member Cannon Kingsley, the number eight seed, a straight set win to advance to another future quarterfinal. Of course, you look up the draw. Keegan Smith continues his comeback, three set win for him to advance to the quarterfinals. He's now going to take on four seed Omni Kumar. Henry Patton taking on top seed Jills Brower. Patton, a straight set win over Garrett Johns. That's the men uh, still alive in the U.S. Of course, former Georgia Bulldog Emil Reinberg into the quarterfinals at the 15K in Cancun. You also had a win from Michael Z- uh, excuse me, Michael Zhu taking on uh, Dusty Boyer. Alfredo Perez, the former Florida Gator standout, he's still alive. Christian Langmo, former U of M, University of Miami, not Michigan. Uh, he's the number four seed. He advanced to the quarterfinals already. Victor Lilov taking on Mate Speck. Uh, strong Kirkheimer taking on Alex Bernard in the second round. Those are fun matchups. I believe Lilov actually got the win to advance to the quarterfinals. I mean, two, born in 2004, making a pro quarterfinal. You love to see it, of course. That's where things stand on the men's side in terms of for the women. Still have a couple of players still alive with college ties. Five advance to the quarterfinals of the 15K in Lubbock. You had uh, McCartney Kessler, uh, currently obviously at with the Florida Gators she's advanced uh, I believe to the quarterfinals was a straight set win for her over Texas's Fernanda Lebrana you look at some of the other college ties with success uh, you look for a Baylor Bear having success this week Anita Sadiva uh, she advanced over the seventh seed uh, from France 6163 you look uh, for I believe I want to say she plays for Oklahoma. Uh, I think it's Oklahoma. I'm going to go ahead and say Oklahoma. If I'm wrong, you can correct me. But Canadian Lane Sleeth uh, knocks out the number eight seed, six, uh, seven six six one. She advances to the quarterfinals. You also had Oklahoma State. Uh, some Oklahoma State love. Uh, Mananchaya uh, Sawanka. I'm, I'm just going to stop there. The number three seed advancing, six love, six one. She's going to take on Sleeth in the quarterfinals. And then, of course, Always got to give a shout out to our Sun Devil love as Julia Morlay knocks out the number two seed Oana Orpana in three sets. You've also got former NC State standout Adriana Riemi still alive in the draw. Fun action at the 15K in Lubbock over at the 60K in Berkeley is worth noting. Emma Navarro, NCAA champ into the quarterfinals. She is going to take on Marcella Zacharias uh, in that quarterfinal round. Zacharias, a three-set win over talented young American junior Reese Brantmeyer. You've also got Krumi Nara taking on American Sophie Chang. Mayo Hibby knocking out Vicky Duvall in a fun uh, love six, uh, six love seven six match. She's going to take on Louisa Chir- Chirico in the quarterfinals. You've also got Insha Lang taking on the winner of Sasha Vickery and Ayusu Arcanada. So Usue Arcanada, excuse me. So again, Fun action across the board this week in the professional tennis world. We'll continue to update you on all of it throughout the course of the week. Great shot podcast this week. We had Damien Coos twice to talk ATP Challenger tennis. We also had a look at the history of teenage success in the women's game. We had Steve Weissman to talk Laver Cup from the Presser Segments Plus podcast from our latest Project Elite members, Baylor's Jacob Brum and Cole Gromley this week on the Cracked Interviews podcast. All of that content available on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and and all of our Cracked Rackets content. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Wastoff, for the 
of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>